So welcome. We're gonna do we're gonna do a quick review from uh, last week. Some of you guys weren't here. Um, a, a worldview. So using that picture up there, how would you define if you heard last week? What's a what's a worldview? Anybody? Exactly. It's not what you look at. It's what you what what you what you see through. Yeah. So anybody else, what is that? So what would be the difference between worldview being something you look at versus something you see through? How would you describe that difference? Any thoughts on that? Yeah. In a worldview, you don't, you know, you could, you could tell somebody what a Christian believes, just teach them. But a worldview is what you've learned, what you've experienced, what you picked up inadvertently, what you, you know, um, things that happened to you. It's this kind of eclectic collection of all these different things that shape how you see the world. Anybody besides in this class, anybody heard, heard or read the word worldview in the last week? Yeah, yeah, and 10 years ago, probably, you would, have, you would have gone through a year and never heard that phrase used. It's become, it's on NPR, it's, it's not just Christians, but everybody's using that term now. Um, so we looked, at, we looked at umbrella terms, like, so what's, what is theism? Theos is a Greek word for God, so what is, what is theism? Just general theism. Yeah, what kind of a God, though, versus deism? Personal God, God. yep. And then deism would be an impersonal God, yeah. Like, it's a, it's a, not really impersonal, so uninvolved God. (laughs) Yeah, so the, the God, the deist God, um, Ben Franklin or Tom, Thomas Paine, their God was a personal being, but he's just not involved. Um, atheism is belief in no God and agnosticism uh, yeah well yeah yeah you you don't know yeah so yeah I guess they could say it doesn't matter but but they could say well it matters but there's no way humans could know so you know um, pantheism uh, no That'd be polytheism. Yeah, yeah, everything is God. Pan, like pandemic everywhere. So everything that exists is God, like creation. Um, So then polytheism, like poly just means multiple, many gods. And then there's a bunch and bunch of subsets of all this. So you could have someone who believes in animism, which there's spirits inside of trees and rocks and so forth, and they could be, um, polytheistic and animistic, or so there's there's a there's an endless variety, and some people dice these down even more finely, which I don't find that helpful. And so if someone says they are something, um, it's just like last night, Robin, Jeff, and I, and Christy were at dinner, and Robin say someone says, "I'm reformed." You know, what do you say to that? And I say, "Well, I say congratulations." You know, <laughs> but. <laughs> <laughs> but but um, that's my first um, kind of um, sarcastic answer. My second arc- sarcastic answer is, 
Well, congratulations, you're not Catholic. <laughs> if you're not Catholic, you came from the Reformation. But, but she was saying like, okay, well, people say that. What, are they, what does that mean? And I go, well, you have to ask them because it could mean so many things. It could mean um, a variety of things, you know. So if someone says, I am atheist or I'm agnostic, you, you have in your mind vaguely what that means. But I would say don't do it sarcastically, though. But what do you, what do you mean by that? You know, um, so April Carber, her daughter, English teacher last week, and they were they were they were studying history and writing papers. But she said in the class, Adolf Hitler was a Christian. And then April was bothered by that. Noel was bothered by that. And I said, well, go back and find out what she meant, because 1935, everybody in Germany, Germany was a Christian or a Jew. I mean, there's two categories. And, but by the time Hitler was chancellor of Germany, he, was, he would have despised this weak Galilean. <laughs> and, you know, he, he so don't, don't overreact, but they went back and reengaged, and that's basically what she meant, was, you know, there was, she was just saying historically, in Germany, you put yourself in those two camps. Now, obviously, we know Adolf Hitler was not a, a Christian. So you, on all these things, you, you have to, we're not, we're not trying to put people into pigeonhole people. We're trying to understand people. And to understand people, we have these general basic, you know, okay, well, I know generally what theism and deism and agnosticism and atheism and pantheism, and generally what they mean. And now what do you, what do you mean by that? Because we're trying to connect with people, reach people. We're not trying to win arguments. We're trying to win people. And so you want to... Um, let them tell you what they mean. Like I was, I was talking about Mo. I was talking about you today. I said, I, I haven't asked you this, but I'm almost 100% sure you know more about Islam since you become a Christian than you did when you were a Muslim. Is that not true? Yeah. And so now as a Christian, he's an expert on Islam, but as a Muslim, he was not an expert on Islam. And, and that's often the case. People often don't even know, you know that much of what they believe. If I ask my grandkids to... To, to describe basic Christian doctrine, they would just say, well, Jesus loves me. I said, bingo, that's all you need to know. But, but um, so it's, it's, it's common that people are going to say, I'm this. And or, we're going to go through the big, the big four today, Hinduism, Buddhism, Judaism, Judaism and Islam. And it's, we come for, some, for someone who say they're a Buddhist to not really necessarily know the basics of Buddhist faith. So we're trying to just understand... Um, so what's a, another little, um, terminology? What, what was a cult? Remember what a cult? Technically, not critically, but technically, what's a cult? So, yeah, so a, a group that doesn't hold to the major tenets of the... So you could have a, Islam, a, a Muslim cult, a Christian cult. So Jehovah's Witnesses are a cult. They're heretical. But, but a sect would be someone who doesn't hold to some of the minor tenets, so they wouldn't be heretical. Yeah. Um, so this, this is what's interesting is there was, there was a study done. There was 57 researchers did 40 different studies in 20 different countries, and they were, ta and they were talking to kids. And um, across all these cultures, kids... And, and, and this was true in Japan. In Japan, in J Japanese families, 
non-Christian families, creators rarely discuss. They don't even talk about it. But across, the, across this whole study, the default position for children when asked, why is everything here, was um, that a, a non-human personal being made this. And this is from families that are atheists or whatever. All these kids, it's, it's built into kids before they've been taught. When they look around, they go, um, some great being made this. Now, they don't know what it was. I just find that fascinating. And, and some people said, well, that's like Santa. It's not like Santa at all. No, children don't inherently believe in Santa. You've got to teach them. There's this big fat red guy. And then they go, okay, I'll buy that for some reason. But nobody's teaching them. In fact, it's the opposite. And you ask them, why is this here? And they'll give you this um, theistic answer. It's, just, it's fascinating. And the Bible explains that. Ecclesiastes 3.11 says he's put eternity in our hearts. It's built into us. Romans 1 and 2 talk about God has built conscience and creation. People know. So we're, we're trying to... Our goal is to, is to understand our faith in order to help people and love people better. So religious questions are common to humanity. That's just the way it is. And I was reading about one of the, one of the called the new atheists that aren't new anymore, Dawkins and Hitchens and these guys. And um, Dawkins is a, a scientist. He's a, he's a very aggressive non-Christian, but he loves Christmas time. Have you read this, Aaron? He loves Christmas time. He loves Christmas music. He likes the Messiah, and he's drawn to it. Now, he's very, very, very aggressively against faith, but his heart is drawn to Christmas. He longs for, and not the Santa magic. I mean, he longs for the, the, the Christmas. That's fascinating. We want to understand them on their own terms, not on our terms, and, and you may actually know more than the Buddhist knows about his faith, but you, you know, you, what, do they, what do they believe? If we're trying to re reach them, we want to know what they believe. And we want to be kind and generous. We don't want to use the... So what's the, what's the straw man argument in thinking, thinking? What's the straw man argument? Yeah. And so it's, it's, what, it's what it sounds like. You know, you, you say... Here, here's what a Buddhist believes, and it's a straw man, and then you go, pow, see, I easily beat that. Beat that. But um, the straw man argument is, is fallacious thinking. What, what you would want to do would be, if a Buddhist was sitting there, you would say, here's what I think Buddhists believe, and, and they would go, yeah, I agree with that. Or here's what historically Buddhists believe. So often different groups, when they're trying to win, will set up straw men Arguments or ad hominem, what's ad hominem? False thinking. Yeah, it means literally against the person. Ad hom yeah, exactly. So, you know, if it's like um, Matt's beating me in an argument and rationally, and I go, Yeah, well, I don't like your sweater, you know, <laughs> or, or, you know, yeah, well, you're, you're dumb or your feet are too big or whatever. It's, it's, you know, we don't want to use that kind of thinking. It's, it's, it's ungodly, and um, you know, Scripture says those who oppose you, you must gently instruct and hope that God will grant them repentance. So we're going to look at the big five. We're not going to do the big five. We're going to do the big four because Aaron's already been teach. Aaron's already taught Christian theology, so we're not going to do Christian theology.
but we're going to look at the, big, the other big four. Um, Sikhism is actually number five. It's in front of Judaism, but um, it, came, it came from India really, really late. It was, so there was Hinduism, Buddhism, and Sikhism. It was the 15th century, very late. So there's, there's more of them than, than there are Jews, but, but there's more, um, more Jews and more countries, and it also has wider kind of impact, so we're not going to look at it. Let's put the next slide up. Here's some numbers. So Christianity, 2.5 billion. And you guys know how, we're, how they're using that term, right? We're not talking about born-again Christians. We're talking about people who would say they're Christians. They may say they're Christian and say, I don't believe the Bible or in Jesus, but they're Christian. So that's pretty generically. 32%, and then that's how many countries. It's every, every country that we have. And then Islam is next. And then Hinduism and then agnostic, atheism, you see that. And um, there's actually, um, you can see there's, there's 28 million Sikhs and, and 15 million Jews. But when you also, when you talk about Jews, you're, that includes Jews that are atheists. So that would include cultural heritage Jews, as well as like converts to Judaism who aren't cultural. So that's, the, that's kind of the world picture. <clears throat> We're going to talk about Islam first, and Mo's going to help. Um, so let me, let me, I'm going to run through it, and then Mo, we're, we're going to, we'll have some discussions, because you and Kathy, and Kathy, you're, you're welcome to come up too. And Okay, she said no, but she's an expert too. So Islam means, anybody know what the word means? Oh, it's right there. Sorry, I have to put it up there. That's what it means, submission. And um, so, so Muhammad was born in we, 570 A.D. in Mecca, and um, Saudi Arabia, Arabia was polytheistic, which means they believed in lots of gods. And at age 30, while pondering life in a cave, he heard a voice repeating the word read or recite, right? And that, that's the word that the Holy Book comes from, correct? That's Quran, the Quran. And it's interesting to me how many, and, and again, since there's no, Muslims in here, I'm gonna, I am gonna, we're going to critique it as well. We're not going to slam, slam it, but critique it. But it's interesting how many um, false religions have come from someone by themselves pondering Buddhism, um, Mormonism, Islam, um, the way international. There's all these cults and false religions where someone's off by themselves and God in some special way comes and speaks to them or an angel speaks to them. So as we, we would believe, of course, yeah, there was a spiritual being and it was, it was demonic. Um, Gabriel was supposedly told, told Muhammad he was the chosen messenger of God. So he started speaking out against polytheism. He was run out of um, Mecca, fled to Medina, which is about 180 miles or so away. Have you been to both those cities? No, okay. Um, and they were more receptive there to his message. And so the Muslim calendar begins that year, 622. And it's called the Higaira, right? The, the flight. That's, the, that's when the Muslim calendar begins, his flight from Mecca to Medina. And, and in that, at that point in time, probably not that much different now, in, in 17th century Arabia, Arabia, there wasn't a lot of difference between religion and politics. They were very blended together, just like they are. hadn't changed that much. In 624, there was, the, there was a battle between the Meccans and the, the folks from, from Medina. 
and the folks from um, Medina out, that's where Muhammad was now in Mecca, the, the, the polytheists were out, out, way outnumbered Muhammad's folks, but they got whipped in this battle, and the Muslims saw this as validation for what they believed. And so then the goal was take the truth of who God is, Allah is, to the world, and there was three, three main forms that, for lack of a better word, evangelism took. One is through conversion. You can you know, confess there is no God but Allah and Muhammad is his prophet, basically, right? And then you're kind of in. The other was through, you could, you could tolerate um, people, Jews and Christians specifically could live under the protection of Muslims, but they were, their, their faith was, you know, you had to, keep it here, but you weren't wiped out. If you weren't in a protected class, then you had to either convert or die, basically. So that was, so you could convert, you could keep your faith if you were, if you were a theist, monotheistic, but if you're anything other than that, you convert or die. So in his conviction, Islam is truth. It had to be spread. He died in 632. He caught a, uh, an illness and died in Medina in 632. The, the two main types of Islam, come on up, Mo, we'll talk about this now, that are, um, are Sunni, which um, about 85% of Muslims are Sunni, and then Shia, Shiite, um, that's about 15%. And they're kind of mostly collected in Iraq and Iran, right? That's where most of them would be. And they're from the lineage of Muhammad. The Shia. The Shia, yeah, Shiite. And then the the traditional Islam. And then there's um, Sufism, which is mystical Islam, which is still tolerated in some places, right? Okay. So those are the three kind of main types. The truth of God comes from the Quran, which is the word of God, and then the Hadith, which, which is... Tradition. Huh? Tradition. Tradition. So it'd be like... Is that on? Maybe it's not. So the Hadith would be... They would believe that that, um, you know, the Quran was a written, written word of God, yes. but this was the example of the prophet, right? Yes. Okay. So traditions... Well, Muhammad did and said two or three hundred years later... They wrote those down. They wrote down and they followed that one too. So it doesn't have the same power as the Quran, but it's very important. <laughs> yes, it is. Okay. So the central concept of Islam is not faith like a Christian or enlightenment for the Buddhist, but submission. Yes. That's a simple... simple. And so the five pillars are, um, let me see if I can say these right, Shahada, yep. which is the, which is? Well, La ilaha illallah, Muhammad Rasulullah means that no God except Allah and Muhammad is his messenger. Okay. And if you say that, then you can become a Muslim. Yes. Now, do you have to feel it, believe it, have faith, or can you just say it? Well, I didn't feel at that time. <laughs> <laughs> right, because no, but I mean, what do, they, what do they believe? What do they believe? What they believe, if you're going to convert to Islam, yes. if you just say it. Yeah, if you believe it in your heart and mm -hmm. say it, uh, you become Muslim. Become a Muslim. Yeah. And then Salat? That's prayer. Daily prayer, five Often times? Five times a day. Okay, and then Zakat? Paying alms. Which is one fortieth of your income, right? Yeah, but for the Shia is five uh, percent. For the Sunni is two point five percent. Okay, so that's a good reason to become. Yeah, you get a bargain. You get half half price off. <laughs> and part of that go for jihad. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And then some. 
Ramadan? So, uh, fasting. That's the uh, fasting. The month of Ramadan. Mm -hmm. That is the whole month fasting. Okay, and then the Hajj. The pilgrimage. The yeah, pilgrimage. The last month of the Islamic lunar calendar. And, they go to and it's required Mecca. for every Muslim. Yes. If you physically Healthy are able. and financially able to go. Okay. So, when you were a Muslim, how familiar with all this were you? What, what parts were you very familiar with? What parts were you not familiar with? Pilgrimage I was not familiar with. The what? The pilgrimage oh, I was okay. not familiar with. Okay. And I couldn't, I couldn't afford to go. Okay. But the things I was familiar was the Shahada, mm -hmm. the creed, mm -hmm. because when they called to Salat or called to pray, I needed to say that a few times during the day. Okay. So testifying that prayer was too, before sun, sunrise and noon and afternoon, evening, late evening too. Fasting too, during the month of Ramadan, I needed to fast with the rest of my family. So, um, and giving, I was not a big fan of giving that time. Mm -hmm. and, uh, <laughs> and so, yeah. I think Did the government tax you or was it voluntary? Well, they, is, is voluntary, but is, there's a fear in it. The New Islam talks about if you don't give, your money will be like a snake around you in a okay. judgment day. So is is based on scaring people to give or okay. do things. It's not like, oh, I love God, I want to give. It's like, oh, I don't want him to hammer me. Yeah. <laughs> or I don't want something to happen to me. And so... And were you familiar with the differences historically and theologically between the different branches, Sunni and Shia? Not Shiite. a lot, Terry. In, uh, the only things was that the Sunni tradition was, I mean, the way they taught us was we almost needed to hate them okay. because they killed different imams mm -hmm. that came from the line of Muhammad. So, Okay, so let's, let's do the seven... We'll come back to seven worldview questions that we're gonna we're using for our grid. Um, what the first one is? Do you remember the first one? The word I use: who or what is ultimate reality? And why? Why say why I say who or what? Versus who or versus what? Because ultimate reality could be personal, a who it could be impersonal, or what? Islam or theistic like we are and Judaism. Yeah. So if I were to say to a Muslim, what, who is ultimate reality? Who's yeah. always been here? Yes. They would say what? God. And, Allah. and who is Allah? How would you describe him as a, as a Muslim? Describe Allah to me. Who, well, what, who is he? Allah is a God who created the heaven and earth and everything in it. And uh, they would say he was not born. Uh, he doesn't have any son or wife. And um, he's a single God. Mm -hmm. And so they will say that God had angels, prophets, books, and, uh, and one day he's going to judge everybody. So tell so us about his judge. personality. Tell us about his, his characteristics. Well, he is the light. He is just. He is, they call him loving too. Okay. But it's different than we talked you talked this morning. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, he's powerful, all-knowing, 
uh, all wise. Uh, he controls uh, everything under okay. his control. He you see how, yeah, very, this is very similar. Years. I mean, it's very similar to Christian. Yeah. It, there, are, there are a lot of things like that. So who would they say, what is, what is a man or a human? What, who or what is a human? Well, human are created by him. Uh, I never read that. It says in his own image and likeness. And so... They believe that or don't believe that? I've never read that they believe Okay, that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's just Adam and Eve, they were... They believe that they were created and they were in heaven, not on earth. Okay. So okay. They, messed, they messed up, they sinned against God, and they moved to earth. So earth was the punishment for sin in yes. heaven. Okay. And the, the solution for that is you need to do, you need to believe and do good works. If okay. you read the Quran, that's the theme. That if when you believe, you do good works, you do this, you do that. Okay. And they say, Lord willing, or inshallah, you will be in a right place in heaven after, I mean, during Judgment Day. Okay. And so, you, well, you'll never be with Allah in heaven. So, you won't? No. Is, there will be, there is no personal relationship between God and uh, human. Okay. Uh, and so, yeah. So we'll just be, we'll just be back before the fall, back in heaven, but not in the presence of Allah. What's the purpose? that yeah. I want to add this here, mm -hmm. Terry, is if they talk to me about Allah, I will say, are you talking about singular Allah or triune Allah? Because mm -hmm. in Arabic Bible, Arabic Bible, God, yeah. it says in the beginning, Allah created mm -hmm. the heaven and earth. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. So, but the, the things you are mentioning about his characteristics, I think is very good to get to his characteristics and his stories to find out who really this God is and how he revealed the truth and love to us. Okay. So, so, if, so, what if, so if they hear the Trinity, that they, they know we don't believe, we're not yeah. polytheistic because they yeah. know we're theistic. What do they say? Do they just think that's just confusing or do they think that we are polytheistic? Well, some of them, they think we are. Okay. And, uh, and some of them, they... There's a verse that thinks that, uh, say that we think God has a, had a wife or something and Jesus is the result of uh -huh. that. And so they argue with that a lot, that there's only one God. And we believe on there's a one God, yeah. but there's a complex God. Yeah. And it's a triune God. And so they believe that we are wrong. And so and that's was, that one was one of the barriers that I was dealing with okay. uh, during my journey. Yeah. So what would they say happens at death? Well, when the angel of death will come, they call, it, they call him Israel. Um, when he comes, for some people he's nice, for some people he's not, according to their sins. Okay. And so when they die, according to them, they will go to purgatory. On judgment Day, there's a scale. If the right is heavy, they will go to heaven. If the left is, uh, if the right is heavy, you will go to heaven. The left side, if it's heavier, you will go to hell. And so some people eventually they get out of hell by God's grace. Mm. And uh, so, how do they get out? Well, it looks like God has mercy on them. Okay. And so it's, um, it's like, okay, I'm going to hell, but there's a possibility I will get out too. Okay. And. Uh, 
so in Islam, nobody knows where they will end up going. Uh, if you read chapter 46, verse 9, Muhammad says, I'm a plain warner. I don't know what will happen to me, neither my followers. I'm just a plain warner. We're mm. looking at Jesus Christ. He says, in my father's house, John 14, there are a lot of rooms. I'm going there. I will come and take you there too. And so I know Jesus is from there, and he can take me there. Okay. But when I was following Muhammad, and I, I read this maybe a few times, but in Arabic to get points. Mm -hmm. And so because I wanted to the right side be heavy, mm -hmm. but I didn't know I'm following somebody that doesn't know mm -hmm. what will happen to them. And yeah. they can bring, bring up tradition that Muhammad had, had a journey to heaven, to different levels, and saw Adam and Jesus and Moses and Abraham. But on the end, the tradition came 200, 300 years later, and the Quran is the primary source. And the Quran, Muhammad is saying that. I, I don't know what will happen to me. Okay. It's, so no, no security for any... If no, Muhammad doesn't have security, nobody has security. Yeah, absolutely. So, so what would they say is... Um, so for Christians, knowledge, epistemology is a technical word for, how to, word for how do we know. So we believe reason, experience, and scripture, and scripture trumps experience and reason. Would they say the same three as we would? Would they say there's scripture, but also... I mean, the... Historically, Islam was not anti-science. Yeah. So yeah. they would would they agree with those three things? Their scripture, reason, I know and at least they will agree with the, the primary source and the secondary source. Okay. And yeah. Reason they they brag about knowledge too that you will find it in the Quran too. Okay. Uh, but I know for those two they will. Okay. Yeah, they will say. So before we let Mo go, what what questions do you have about? Islam. Let's stay away from political, but stick with theological. Go ahead, Kyo. So, uh, what I observe in India is that uh, there is some saints in Islam. Yes. And once they die, they build a like, uh, house for them. Even Hindus go there. Like, what type of Muslims? Like, what type of Islam? Well, is, that one is the Shia tradition. Okay. Uh, you will see it in Iran or Shia uh, neighborhood in. I mean, in different countries too, but mainly we have it in Iran and in Iraq, that there are 12 Imams, and, and there are some of them, they have tombs. So when I was Muslim, I went to the tomb of the eighth Imam and to get some blessings. And so that's, that works like a um, mediator that was working. Uh, so I, I prayed, not to him, but I asked him to go on my behalf and talk to God. I remember myself going there. You have it? You have it in, in your country? Yeah, we have yeah. it in India, and I remember yeah. going with my parents, but I don't know what to do with yeah. it. <laughs> <laughs> and people pay a lot of money, yeah. and uh, they spend a lot of money. Man. Well, you're not going to be a Muslim, but they're going to let you be because you're a people of the book, yeah. right? Yeah. And then the third was die or yeah. warfare. Well, the thing is, pretend that we are 1,400 years back, okay? Uh, 
and Muhammad is there and he is seeing you. So you have three options. You convert, become Muslim, it will be okay. Or you stay Christian because you are the people of the book and you will pay jazia, means like a money that is for your protection. Or we will fight, you kill us or we will kill you. So it is like that. And so on the, in the end time, paying, it will not be an option in their eschatology, end time. So in end time is this, you become Muslim, you will be okay, or you will die. Absolutely. In the end time, they believe that Jesus will come. He's in a, with the two of them all. And Jesus is going to tell you, you become Muslim. If not, you will lose your life. And so, yeah. But, so so a, Christ, a Christian or a Jew would, would go into permanent hell. They would, there's no way for them to eventually get, get out of jail or whatever. No. Okay. For Jews and Christians, yeah. But, I mean, so it's, mostly, it's, it's only just in this life that they let you live Yes. Separately or whatever. On other life, I mean, yeah. you are burning because yeah. you don't believe on Muhammad and that look. Okay. Yes. Go ahead, Luke. No, Luke, sorry. Uh, I didn't see you. Yeah. No, uh, you mentioned so, so the characteristics of Allah, he's, he's loving. And I guess that's the one I'm, I'm uh, targeting here because you've talked about him being loving. Which yes. No, there is no. Yeah. The, the teaching Muhammad used is, I call it fun and fear. Uh, he used fear to scare people to become Muslims or go to jihad or go to heaven. The fun is for them is when you go to jihad and do things and kill people, you get the ladies. And if you die, you get the ladies in heaven too. So... Yeah, the he, he used different techniques to, to draw people to himself. And uh, yeah, but in the love I was talking about is different than the love Terry is talking about. That love is, I love you as much as you love me. In Islam, God doesn't die for you. In Christianity, you die for God in Islam. In Christianity, God died for you. And so... You know, complete, that love is not unconditional love. So when I talk about love, I want to be clear what kind of love I'm talking about. God in Islam is not going to sacrifice himself for you and us. It's you sacrifice yourself for him. Yeah. Claire, do you have a question? In which, well, we have a mosque in 96 here. There is a Sunni mosque. Uh, we have a Shia mosque to Islam. I don't know exactly where it is, but I heard people go there. So 85% are uh, Sunni, and we, we see them in Saudi Arabia. We see them in part of southern part of Iran. Many, many Muslim countries are Sunni, 85-ish. More than 10%, 10-15-ish uh, are Shia, mainly in Iran, some in Saudi Arabia, not a lot, some in Afghanistan, in Iraq as well. 
and well, we have some in the United States too because of the uh, immigration I mean, immigrating to U.S. But uh, the main the thing is they have the same primary book, so it's the same. The secondary that is the tradition or the hadith, they have different writers, so they have a differences. Uh, their differences is there. Um, another thing is I can mention is when Muhammad died, according Shia tradition, his son-in-law Ali was the successor. Uh, for the Sunni tradition, they said, no, 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 no. We are going to vote, and the first caliph was Abu Bakr. Uh, and so they had caliphs. And so the problem started after his death. And so the things you see overseas, fighting and stuff, and some of, the, some of them goes back to that time. Uh, to be honest, Ali eventually, his son-in-law became the fourth caliph, and the Sunni, when he was praying at mosque, the Sunni from Baj cut his head, I mean, put sword in his head and cut him from half. And eventually, after one or two days, he died. Two days he died. So, yeah, it goes back. The, the problem between Shia and Sunni goes So practically speaking, like, um, some are some are okay with saints and and um, yes. like icons and others are yeah. not and yes. kind of kind of difference between like Catholics and Eastern Orthodox in some yeah. ways or whatever right some of yes. those yeah. differences yeah and they spend money hopefully God will answer their yeah their request okay. yeah. yeah good hold on did you have a question. Uh -huh. Yeah, they, they wouldn't say he's they wouldn't say he's impersonal. No, okay. They would say you just can't have a relationship with yeah. him. So he's personal, like theism. He's a personal God, but like the deist, you're, you're not gonna have a relationship with a deist God because he's. So the difference would be, hundred percent transcendent, zero percent imminent, and for but still personal, just transcendent and personal. For us, we have a transcendent and an imminent God. Yeah, good question. Wait, one more, Marie. Yes. And that Jesus is Muslim? Yes. Is that what you said? Yes. Okay, so I guess talk about According to how Jesus, I mean, how, how would you talk to a person if a Muslim believes in Jesus, how would you approach a conversation with them about what we believe in about Jesus? It seems, I mean, there's obviously a difference, but how would you address yeah. that? <laughs> well, that's a great question. <laughs> Okay. I don't remember the number exactly. Years. No, no, no. It's so not. Okay. So no. in the book of Revelation, we have a discussion about Antichrist who rules again for seven years. Okay. So is Muslims treating Antichrist as Jesus? 
Well, the Antichrist, for they believe on Antichrist too, that he will come. They also believe that Jesus will come and he will be in the 12 Imams army. And so, and when he shows up, Jesus shows up according to them, he's going to ask us, oh guys, you were wrong and you need to become Muslim. And after that, if you don't, you will lose your life. And so, yeah. And I don't know if I answered that. But so let's, let's, let's don't get too far in the weeds okay. that, because in, on, the, on the theology. But so basically, what do they believe about Jesus? Just ge generically, what do generically, they believe? They believe that Jesus is son of Mary. He doesn't have a dad. They believe that his birth is a miracle. They believe that he healed many people, rose dead people by God's permission. That's a big key that they will use by God's permission. They don't believe he died for our sin, because they also they don't believe on original sin. And so they believe that eventually they wanted to kill him. He was in a house with his disciples. The roof of that house was open. He went to heaven with the whole body. Uh, he went to heaven and one day he will come back and, and it will be the end time. They don't believe that he is God or son of God. They believe that he is one of the five major prophets. And so, and they believe that he's the Messiah. Um, and so, and they don't believe that your sin is going to be forgiven through him. So he's not our substitutionary atonement. Um, and, uh, so if you can tell, Mo's Mo an expert on Islam. And so I'd say, really, if you want to, if you have questions about, you know, how do you, him and Kathy have trained people all over the world on, on reaching Muslims and, um, and using uh, their scripture, not just the Bible, but using their scripture. And so um, sometimes we just need to have a, a, just a, a presentation on how to do evangelism sure. with, with Muslims. But um, the goal here is like the more the, high-level view, but this is very, very pertinent because so much of what's happening in the world is, is you know, the, the war on terror and all that stuff, and there's, so it's very, very pertinent to us. So um, we'll move on and just hit the others, but this, this guy is an expert, and his wife is an expert, and so they would be, I think they'd be happy to have more conversations, or maybe we'll just have a, a class sometime, Aaron, where we just Talk to us about how do we reach um, and understand our Muslim friends. Thank you. Well done. So this is, um, you know, it's, it's silly to me to try to present Islam when I've got Mo and Kathy in the church, but, but, um, but we're just trying to give the high-level view, and we're not trying to become an expert in, like I said, in any religion because... Christians spend their lives trying to master our religion, our faith. And so good luck thinking you're going to master your faith and Buddhists and Hindus and so forth. But we want to understand generally, plus, as we know, um, how many different views on the Christian faith are there in, in Wichita? You know, lots. But we would say, what's, what are the basics that, we, that true Christians agree on? And, and I would say Muslims would probably say, okay, here's the, here's the bottom, bottom line. And you're still, even though there's Shi and Sunni and they may go to war, but they're still going to think 
that person, if they believe this, then they're a Muslim, right? So Judaism, we think we, we all think we know Judaism because, I mean, um, it's, we all come from a, Judas, a, a, Jew, a Jewish background, but um, Jew can be ethnic, cultural term, or it can be a spiritual heritage. So you could be born into a lineage of Jews, or you could be a Jewish convert. And there's, there's four main iterations of Judaism in history. And you, you, we're not going to get in the weeds again, but there's, there's foundational Judaism, which was, which was Abraham to about 500 B.C., and that's where the fundamentals of the faith were developed. There's what's called interim Judaism, which would be 500 B.C., uh, like the end of the ish of the, of the New Testament, I mean of the Old Testament period, to 100 A.D., so like the, the birth of the church. And that's when all these different factions competed for prominence. Pharisees and the Sadducees and the, and the Essenes, these different groups, and the Zealots. And then there's classical Judaism, which was 100, um, 180 to about 1800. And during that time, sort of one form of Judaism took over. And then there's modern Judaism, which is 1800 to the present. And that's, that evolved into three different main forms. So if you think about foundational would be what we think of the Old Testament. Interim would be like the, what's called the silent period between the Testaments up to you know, the birth of the church that time. And then classical would be from 100 to 1800. And 1800 was when um, Judaism began to disperse, um, either because of persecutions or just migration they moved all over and they started asking questions during the classical Judaism piece how do we how are we good Jews in Germany and America not not Nazi Germany but just Germany and America and France and you know how do we how do we live our faith and then um, so as they were in the, the modern period as they were trying to figure out how do we do that the 1800 till the present these three three different versions um, formed, and the three versions that formed. I think that's on the next slide. We can skip ahead to that. The Reformed, Orthodox, and Conservative, and all these sound kind of conservative. These terms sound conservative-ish, but they're really not. So if you think you guys, I'm not going to do the um, the I'm not going to do the history, the first part, because that's our history too. That's Old Testament history. Um, but if you jump to the, 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 um, some of the key events in, in, in Jewish life that shaped them were, of course, Abraham um, and the, Abraham, the covenant of Abraham, the birth of Abraham was called out of Iraq, out of Ur, and then, um, and then the, the exile, I mean, the, the, um, the exodus, that's a key event, and then David, the, the, the Davidic covenant and then if you go to um, the kingdom got split in two north and south and then the big big event another big event in Jewish history was a destruction of the temple in 586 and, and that was the first destruction and then after they'd been in exile for a while they came back and the Persians the, the, the Iranians 
allowed them to rebuild the temple in 538. And after that is what you ever hear, Second Temple Judaism. That's what they're talking about. And it was a much diminished um, temple. But then it, it, for the next um, four or 500 years, it got bigger and bigger. And by the late first century um, B.C., by, um, by 70 A.D., it was about the size of American football field. So it was a lot bigger. The original temple was about like the size of a, of a modern megachurch, a large church. And then the second temple got to, at its peak, got to be about the size of a football field. And then after the Persians, the Persians got whipped by the Greeks, and there was a guy named Antiochus Epiphanes. You guys have maybe heard of him. He slaughtered thousands of Jews, put an put a, a, a idol of Zeus in the temple, and there was a, a, a famous and important Jew named Judas Maccabeus, who, who was an army general, but also who comes from a family of priests, and he led a revolt, and um, they whipped him. They, they, beat the, they beat the Greeks, rededicated the temple, and from that comes Hanukkah, the rededication of the temple. And then the Romans showed up, and, um, and from the time of the Romans all the way till 1948, there'd be no the Jews would not have jurisdiction over the promised land during that period of time. 1948 was, of course, when modern Israel was formed. So later on, back up, uh, the, the, the Jews tried to rise up against um, Rome, and it didn't go well. It was, they, they were massacred, so the, the blood ran you know, knee-deep through Jerusalem, and they tore the temple down to the ground, A.D. 70. All that's left is 100 meters of, the origin, of, that, of that temple called the Western Wall or the Wailing Wall. And it's, it's right next to the Dome of the Rock, which is the, the oldest Muslim monument in the world. And that is the most disputed piece of real estate on the planet right there. So the, the, the main groups were the, the, the Sadducees, and they cooperated with the Romans, so they were able to keep positions of power. And they rejected innovations they were sort of unconcerned with the afterlife they were more concerned with this life and then the Essenes were this apocalyptic holy men who lived in some caves down by the Dead Sea you've heard the Dead Sea Scrolls they didn't live they, they had a low view of sex so they didn't let their, they didn't last very long um, the zealots were these patriots and fighters who were violently opposed to Romans and and then the Pharisees kind of won the day and, and they formed the basis for what emerged next. Uh, classical Judaism went from 100, B, from 100 to 1800 A.D. And so um, they developed the teachings of the elders. They collected that teachings, to the, added it to the Torah, which was, the Torah was originally the first five books of the Old Testament. Then it came to became the name for the whole, all of the law. But since there was no more temple after A.D. 70, it, it became more, the faith became more rabbi-driven, local teachers. So Jesus was called teacher, rabbi. And um, it, the synagogue system developed kind of like local churches. And that was kind of how it went from, from then on. So if you go to the modern version, where we are from 1800, where Jews started dispersing around the world and figuring out, like Christians do, you know, how do you live in the world. And so for Christians have three, three basic ways they live in the world. It's called Christ below, Christ in, Christ above culture. And so some people say 
you know, um, Christ below culture would be you really can't beat culture, so you have to kind of fit in to get along, go along to get along. Um, Christ above culture would be to isolate into enclaves, and you can't, culture's going to destroy you, and so let's hide from culture. And then Christ in culture would be how do we live in the world, not of it. And the Jews kind of took those three over time, those three basic approaches. Um, and that's this Reformed Orthodox and conservative. So the Reformed approach was, was integration. It would be more Christ, what I would call under, under culture. So they don't have any, a Reformed Jew would have no um, vision for a restored temple, a future Messiah, no, no really resurrection of the dead. I would call this completely cultural Judaism where um, food laws, Sabbath laws are too restrictive. In fact, many of the moral laws are too restrictive. So um, it's also called progressive Judaism. So, I mean, same-sex marriage, all that stuff would be fine. So if, if you hear me describe that, it sounds pretty much like cultural, purely cultural Judaism, everything else is. So they would do some of the um, Jewish stuff maybe, but they're not going to believe there's, any, there's really absolute truth, probably. Orthodox Judaism would kind of took two forms. It would be one's more restrictive and isolationist, one not so much. And so, and this is the um, uh, the the isolationist view would be the ones you see in Israel wearing the curls and dressing, you know, in, in a very strict way. More stay away from everything, and the less isolation, this is, this is the view, this is the official form of Judaism in Israel, is Orthodox Judaism, but it can look confusing because you see Orthodox Jews walking around wearing street clothes and some walking around with the curls and all that, the phylacteries and all that, but it's because they're going to say, we're going to, we're going to, they're following the way of Judaism, but just like there's Christians who are orth, Orthodox Christians, but some are going to wear, you know, Girls aren't going to wear pants or whatever, you know. So it's more like maybe the external forms, generally speaking, than, than their beliefs. And then the conservative, which is interesting because all these terms are kind of confusing to me because I, we wouldn't use them the same way. So this is like the middle position. And what one rabbi said about conservative Judaism is believe with flexibility but act according to the traditions. So do all, the, do all the Jewish stuff, but in terms of core beliefs, eh, not so much. And so women can be rabbis. Women can be conservative. I had a friend who was a chaplain in Iraq. Um, her, her nickname was Thumper. <laughs> but she was a, uh, a DOD-ordained or DOD-recognized conservative female rabbi. You know, you can, you can imagine that would never go with, with Orthodox. And so, um, let's talk about the seven questions. What, who or what is ultimate reality for the Jew? Or who is, who is ultimate reality for the Jew? Yeah, there's one God, theistic God, one God, God of Abraham, Isaac, but not a triune God. Um, they would say man... Who or what is man? They would say, you know, Genesis 1 and 2, created an image of God. And then what would they say? This is very generic because if you ask 
depends on who you ask, but let's say you ask an Orthodox Jew who, who believes in the theology of Judaism, what do you think they would say man's problem is? Well, they would say it's sin, just like we do. Now we start diverting. What would they say is a solution? Huh? Yeah, they would say faith. They would say faith. But how, how would that be, again, how would that be different from what you would, it would be faith in God expressed in obedience to the law. But it wouldn't be, it wouldn't be faith in God to, you know, that God didn't die for your sins, kind of like the, the, the Muslim said. Um, death, what happens at death? It depends on who you ask, but let's say an orthodox, say an orthodox believing Jew. What would they say? Be kind of kind of tough because um, some might some might believe in annihilation. Some might you know believe that's what the Old Testament teaches. Some some would for the for the wicked. Some would believe in lasting torment for the wicked. It depends on who you talk to. So. It's confusing because we think we know what Jews believe. Yeah, I mean, come on, we're, we're cousins. They came from the Old Testament. But there's very different periods of time. And then in modern Judaism, you could have like, um, um, what's his name? The guy that's going to prison for ripping, ripping everybody off with the, um, yeah, yeah. I mean, his, his parents were reformed. But they're, they're essentially a, a, a agnostic at best. And, um, and if you go to Israel right now and the people fighting the war, the official religion of, of Israel is orthodox, but there's going to be people who are basically agnostic or atheists. So let's, let's move on to Hinduism. Because um, we we're going to try to hit Hinduism, Buddhism real quick. Hinduism is mainly about duties related to being released from the endless cycle of life, death, rebirth. So your true self can return to Brahma. They don't typically refer to the religion as Hinduism because that name was given to them by Westerners. And it's partly because the 19th century Westerners started calling the people in the Indus River area, India, this because they couldn't figure it out. Westerners couldn't figure out what is this exactly? And it's a cocktail of rituals, belief, practices, and exercises. There's no founder. There's no institutional hierarchy like Judaism, Christianity, Buddhism, Islam, or Sikhism. They believe it's the oldest religion in the world. They believe, in fact, it's timeless. It's eternal. And it's also evolved in three layers. And, three, and you, can, you can think about the layers with three sets of sacred writings. So put that next slide up. So the Vedas was the oldest so 1500 to 500 BC. And during that time, certain ideas about belief in, in reality developed from the, the Vedas, like that there are lots of gods or a variety of gods, but it's way more complicated than traditional polytheism. These gods are emanations of Brahma. And then there's certain rich, during that time period, certain rituals and sacrifices were developed to try to connect you with ultimate reality. And then the Upanishads, Upanishads, is that how you say it? Upanishads. Huh? Upanishads. Yeah, I can't say it that fast, but that's, that's it. So 
It means sitting near or learning from masters. And so over, over um, about 700 years, these, many of these Indian gurus thought about the world in light of their religion and came up with um, these writings. And, and they, there's a variety of genre in there. There's poems and narrative and all these kind of things. And that's where the next kind of evolution came, that the idea that there is this Brahman ultimate reality. A priest is also called a Brahman because he's connected to the life force. It's, it's, it's really more pantheism than polytheism. And so um, Atman, the, the, the human soul, the idea of the human soul, it's the inner you, the inner life force, but it's not the idea that it's, you know, there's a unique you is an illusion. Really, it's a spark from the big flame. The goal of, of life is to free this soul, if you will, from the impurities of worldly existence and then connect to Brahman. And again, you could talk to a thousand Hindus and they would have a different view. Um, then there's the idea of what we would call reincarnation, but you're, there's this entrapment in these, in these cycles. In the West, people think that reincarnation is an exciting idea. Um, for them, this um, samsara, this reincarnation, it means running around is a snare. It's not a good thing. So one, one Hindu writer said, um, existence is the foul stench attaching to your true soul trapped in the physical world. Their karma, you, we've all heard of karma in the West. It's, it's, the, it's the power behind the entrapment. It's action that bears fruits. It's cause and effect. All your actions stick to you, determine your next incarnation. So uh, coming back as a cockroach, people laugh about that, but it's a real possibility for an Orthodox Hindu. You say, well, then I, I want to come back as a billionaire. Well, a billionaire is not a good thing either. It's just a lesser of two evils. So America, Westerners think reincarnation. I'm, I'm cycling up the chain. And none of that, if you're, if you're, if you're coming back as anything, that's not the goal. The goal is not come back. It's, it's release into ultimate reality. And Brahma is pure consciousness, and you get absorbed back into it. And it's, it's, this, this is strange for Western ways of thinking. It, at least it is for me, but for many, it's strange. And then there's a, another set of writings that... that um, developed 500 B.C. to 300 A.D., and these are the oral traditions. They're less authoritative but very popular. They influence a lot of the beliefs and practices of modern Hindus. And the one that we're most um, familiar with is, is the Bhagavad Gita. It's uh, the one that we heard the most, we hear the most in the West at least, the Song of the Lord. It's a 70-page poem, and it's a, in this poem there's a prince and his advisor who is an Krishna, an incarnation of Brahma, and this prince who's a part of the, the, warrior, um, the, the warrior king cast is about to go to war, and he's wondering, should I go to war or not? And then Krishna comes in and says, yeah, go to war. So he goes to war and, and emerges victorious. And so that, that's very formative for how to think about life. So there's four casts of people. There's priests. And they're not, they can't engage in warfare. They can't work the land. There's warrior kings, which would, we would call upper middle class. There's common people, the workers of society. Then there's servants. And then there's a fifth kind of people who don't have a caste. They're called the untouchables. 
And so only the three upper castes undergo the twice-born ceremonies, kind of like bar mitzvah or baptism. Uh, when Gandhi came along, he died in 1948, he, he preached a more egalitarian view, but Americans, Westerners love Gandhi. Traditional Hindus don't really love Gandhi as much. They, they think he was kind of a, a, a liberal, right? <laughs> kind of like we would consider you know, uh, someone who was teaching liberal theology. So, the, um, in, in back to the Bhagavad Gita, the, the, the Vishnu was teaching this, pre, this um, warrior, be true to your caste. Do what you should do inside your caste. That's the path of duty. And so, if this is what you're called to, you're in the warrior caste and do what warriors do. And so do all, your, do all your actions with absolute devotion to one of these manifestations of Brahma. So there's, if you go to, if you go to um, there's, I don't know, tens of thousands of manifestations, wouldn't you say, of Brahma, tens of thousands of, of representations that are possible. And, um, and so you can say, well, do they have a personal relationship with Brahma? Well, it's impossible. Yeah, and they wouldn't even call, they wouldn't, yeah, they, they don't worship him because he's unknowable, impersonal, right? But, okay, but then they might come up with their own emanation or whatever to make it more personal, and they would have their own version of it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and it, as you can imagine, when it's evolved over all these years. So if, if Hinduism is confusing to you, it's because, it's because it is. But if you can just think about it, if you can think about it in terms of, if you start talking to a Hindu in terms of eternal life, that's what they're trying to escape. If you start using um, laws of non-contradiction, you know, which I believe are real, they're not going to, you know, this can't be this and not that at the same time. They go, yeah, it can. So it can feel like you're down the rabbit hole a little bit, Alice in Wonderland. But if you're going to, in my opinion, if you're going to minister to a Hindu, you're going to talk about where do they actually live? What's okay in, in their life, in their world? And um, if you start talking about Jesus and thinking about who he is and 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 staying away from terminology that might be confusing to them as much as you can. But I think, again, most Hindus aren't going to necessarily know, unless there's there some Hindu scholar, and it's unlikely you're going to talk to a Hindu scholar. They're probably not going to know um, what, they, what they're supposed to believe. They're just going to tell you, here's what I believe. Buddhism is a, a practical philosophy taught by um, a prince, who was a, was a Hindu, who became known as the Buddha, the enlightened one. In the West, we think it's the most lovable religion of all. We think it's very simple. And so, um, but it's not. It's, it's, it's very, um, Orlando, Orlando Bloom, the Dalai Lama, we think it's kind of kind and simple, but it's really quite complicated, and it can be terrible. I was in Tibet and saw the just the, the terrible lives that Tibetan Buddhists live. They, they believe loss is built on the heart of a demon. And I saw, I saw people as we were driving through the mountains crawling, doing a worm crawl through the mountains, trying to, trying to earn their way 
um, out of the, the curse, trying to earn God's favor or to turn these demons away. It's really horrible. It's complex. It requires high levels of discipline. Buddha was raised in Hinduism. He was in the warrior king caste. He married at 16, a 16-year-old beautiful girl, had a baby, um, lived in palaces, had three palaces. And at 29 years old, he went outside the palace walls and he saw the four signs. He saw an old man, a sick man, a dead man, and a holy man. The legends of the four passing sites, which they, they think is not legend. And he left his wife and his newborn child and never came back. And he went looking for peace in a world full of decay and sadness. So for six years, he wandered around the region of the, the Ganges River, studying all these Hindu traditions, learning from different gurus. One night, he was sitting under a tree, and he became the Buddha. He got enlightened. He, he realized the key to the, what the removal of suffering was. And so um, he spent the next 45 years wandering around teaching everybody who would listen to him. And his teachings were passed down orally, until the first century B.C. they were written down. So he rejected the caste system. He said anyone could become enlightened. Like in Hinduism, you couldn't become enlightened unless you'd worked your way up the caste system. He rejected that. He didn't really have a lot of respect for the priests um, because anybody could really become a Brahma. Anybody could become um, enlightened. He rejected theories about God, soul, self, all that. We would probably call him a practical atheist. And he was after enlightenment now. Not, not escaping these endless cycles until you finally are released into Brahma. But you can, you can get uh, enlightened now. You can um, realize, enlightenment would be realizing that you don't ultimately exist. And what's, what's fascinating to me is how close Christian science is to Buddhism. It's, it's a... Life is illusion, sin is illusion, suffering is illusion. So the four noble truths of Buddhism are suffering exists, and suffering is not just what we would call suffering. It's not just pain and hardship, but just the fleeting nature of life altogether. Existence itself is suffering. Because even if you're enjoying this wonderful Thanksgiving holiday with your family, you, call, you wouldn't call that suffering. But in your mind, you know this isn't going to last <laughs> And so um, suffering exists. Suffering is caused by desire. Good or bad things all, all attract karma, karma. So the way, the way to eliminate suffering is to get rid of desire. What nirvana, which means to blow out, like blow out or, extinct, or extinguish. It's the ex extinguishing of the desire for pleasure, for existence, for non-existence, any of that. And when, when the enlightened person dies and they end the chain of cause and effect, but you can get there before death. You can reach a state of enlightenment. So if you ever remember the terrible um, pictures or videos of the Buddhist priests in Vietnam self-emulating, setting themselves on fire and sitting there in the lotus position burning, and they weren't in pain, I always thought they were on drugs, you know, to be able to endure that pain. But they had so spent so much time disciplining themselves and their minds and disconnecting that they were able to sit there and um, burn, burn to death. So they'd reach this state of enlightenment where they're totally disconnected. So even think about, you know, how would Christians think about someone who says, yeah, God's called me to the ministry, so I'm going to leave my wife and kids. 
you know, you can imagine. And, but that's essentially, I'm going to go searching for enlightenment. I'm going to leave my wife and my newborn baby. You know, just how, how ultimately selfish that is. The fourth noble truth is um, the Eightfold Path. It's the, the way to reach enlightenment, right understanding. A lot of these sound redundant, but there's nuances. Right understanding, no Buddhist teaching. Right thought, so more disciplined thoughts, no random thought. Right speech, right actions, right livelihood. There's certain jobs you can't have. Um, right effort, no passivity in what you do. Right mindfulness, which is really self-awareness. And then right concentration, which is an intense version of, of right mindfulness. So no... For the Buddha, it, it wasn't about prayer, talking to God, worship, um, religious ceremonies. They would even avoid calling their way of life a religion. I mean, often it would be a philosophy. So if you think about it, and we'll talk about this when we, next week when we talk about um, Christian view of suffering, the, the, let's just generalize the Four Noble Truths. Life is suffering. What would the Christian say about that? Life is suffering. What would the Christian response to that be? Purpose and suffering. But life is not only suffering. For them, life is suffering. Even, you know, all of life, existence itself. And suffering is caused by desire. And basically meaning if, if, if you... If you want to exist or you want to have something, then you suffer. If you cease wanting, and this is very simplified, then, then you cease suffering. What would Christians say about that? What's that? Suffering is caused by sin. Yeah. Ultimately, suffering is caused by sin. You don't eliminate suffering by eliminating desire. You know, you're not going to eliminate suffering. What do you, what do you, what do you, what do Christians think you do with and about suffering? You glorify God in it. You don't try to eliminate desire. So if I, I, I mean, I've, I struggle with this because when I was younger, when I first, when we first had Crystal, for instance, I would look at her and I would love her. And even, and this, this would be, this would be exactly how the Buddha felt. I would look at her and I would love her and then fear would come into my heart. And I do that even now with, you know, when I'm holding Joseph. What am I afraid of? Losing her. And so what do you do? You can either trust God with her. But when I was a younger man, I would try to subconsciously throttle back my love. I wouldn't not show love to her, but I would try to, I would try to eliminate desire. And I didn't see it at the time. But I was trying to get at the problem of suffering by, in a Buddhist way, not a Christian way. The Christian way is trust God with my daughter, not try to throttle back on caring. Probably the Buddhist way is that just feeling, yes. Yeah, yeah, just leave. If, if, it hurts, if it potentially hurts, leave. So it's, yeah, it's a very, very apathetic, selfish approach, though they wouldn't see it that way. Um, so, what's ultimate reality for the Buddhist? Who knows? Brahma, an, an impersonal, a truly impersonal um, consciousness, universal consciousness. That's ultimate reality. Unknowable, 
undefinable, undescribable. Who is man? Um, man is an illusion. Humans. Humans are illusion. We're, we're a part of this great Brahma, but our, our ideas of being distinct and individual, that's all illusion. The problem, what's the problem? Huh? Desire, yeah. And, and the solution is enlightenment, which is realizing this is all an illusion. You know, what you're, what you're worried about, what you're happy about, what you're excited about, which is, it's all an illusion. And so you reach this, this stage where none of it matters, really. And it doesn't mean they're not going to go out and try to do good things. That's right action, so he kind of gets around it. But the right actions don't really mean anything. You're just after this kind of a detachment. That's life purpose is to, is to become enlightened, to realize that your existence is illusion. And at death, the Buddha was agnostic about death. Um, he didn't say there's endless, endless cycles of reincarnation because he was more focused on reaching enlightenment now, not escaping these cycles of reincarnation. You die and come back as, you know, Orlando Bloom, and then you die and come back as whatever. Um, he was more focused on now. So um, I've read a lot on Hinduism, Buddhism. I'm, not, I'm no expert on any of it, but if it all sounds confusing, because to some degree it is. But Aaron, you got anything to add? <laughs> 